Okay, so welcome once again to the program and welcome once again to NHL hockey. I know it was only the one extra day in between games, but man, did that not feel like an eternity. Uh, here we go, game three tonight. Uh, it is the Florida Panthers looking to jump back into the series. Uh, is this a must win? Technically, no, but is this a must win for Florida? Yeah, of course it is. Uh, you don't want to go down 3 nothing for all the obvious reasons, and you really don't want to go down 3 nothing against this Vegas Golden Knights team. A couple of things, and we'll get more into this game with uh, Elliot Friedman, or as we call him, A-Block Elliot. Um, and here in a couple of moments, he's, of course, in Sunrise. Radko Gudis is in. So uh, despite leaving the game after the Ivan Barbashev hit in Game 2, Radko Gudis makes his return to the Florida Panthers blue line but interesting in that you think okay so they're going to bring a little more snarl into the lineup that will help right hold on a second paul maurice today saying pump the brakes on the physicality uh the florida panthers head coach saying that uh they've made the series the panthers they've made the series more physical than it needs to be and that there is uh, a certain energy cost that comes along with that uh, what does that one mean? Uh, it's always, you know, you have to put on the Paul Maurice or any head coach at this time of year, decoder ring, and try to say, okay, what are they saying by saying something else? Now, I think what they're saying here and what Paul Maurice is hinting at is uh, he wants to see his guys not run around a lot. Also, this is a way of indicating to the officials, and tonight it'll be Dan O'Rourke and Kelly Sutherland, that we're not planning to do anything dumb. We're going to play a really calm game. But if you call penalties on us, it'll probably be more about you than us because we're not coming out to play physical. We're just there to play hockey. Now, I do think the Paul Maurice does have a point. And I think that all the running around and trying to establish, you know, physical superiority, the likes of which they did against, in order, the Boston Bruins, the Toronto Maple Leafs, and the Carolina Hurricanes... Well, it hasn't worked against the Vegas Golden Knights. As a matter of fact, it's completely backfired on the Florida Panthers because what the Vegas Golden Knights have shown so far through two games is not only are they cool with that type of game, they welcome that type of game. And as a matter of fact, they're happy if you watch the first 10 minutes of game two to initiate that type of game. What happens when you change mid-series? What happens when you change your approach? That which made them successful in three rounds and surprised the NHL world, what happens when that stops working? That's going to be one of the questions we talk about here on the program. Uh, Elliot's going to be dropping by in a couple of moments. Jason Bukla is going to be joining us from the Combine. So Jason is with us for our draft coverage again. Uh, also former Florida Panthers director of amateur scouting. And speaking of the draft, um, this year, the, uh, the the main panel, okay, the main uh, analyst panel, because Elliot and I will be doing our little dog and pony show on the floor. Uh, Carolyn Cameron will once again be doing the prospect interviews. Kyle Bukoskis, uh will be part of the festivities as well. But the main panel, David Amber anchoring alongside Sam Cosentino, Jason Bukala, who joins me at the bottom of the hour, and a GM we're bringing in this year uh, to help us shepherd us through what happens at the draft and some behind-the-scenes stories is former 
Minnesota Wild and Philadelphia Flyers general manager Chuck Fletcher. So very much looking forward to uh, working with Chuck. We'll hope to get him on this program and probably on the 32 Thoughts podcast leading up to the draft in Nashville. But uh, your main panel, David Amber, Sam Cosentino, Jason Bukala, and Chuck Fletcher, uh, most recently ex of the Philadelphia Flyers. Also on the program today, Mike Rupp from the NHL Network. I, we should always, when we mention Rupper, uh, mention that he was a Stanley Cup champion. Uh, I know that if I ever won the Stanley Cup, I'd like people to mention that. Uh, and a little bit later on, we'll play a few clips from um, from the, the Bruce Cassidy interview that Elliot and I did last week in Vegas. Now, this was recorded before Game 1, uh, obviously, but a lot of the stuff still very much stands up. And it's Bruce Cassidy. And I defy you to find me a bad Bruce Cassidy interview. Hint, they don't exist. So that's coming up a little bit later on. So uh, Mike Rupp from the NHL Network, Jason Bukala, bottom of the hour. And on the other side, Elliot Friedman from 32 Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada. A Block Elliot in Sunrise is next. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. What do you think of that nickname, Elliot? A Block Elliot. Sounds like I'm going to jail. <laughs> I didn't say cell block Elliot. A Block oh, well, Elliot. Well, close enough. First of all, how is everything in that? You should have introduced the Bruce Cassidy yeah. interview by saying, you, you, we, you cannot get a bad Bruce Cassidy interview, but we tried our best. That's what you should have gone with. <laughs> Ignore the two dopes asking questions. Just focus on the head coach of the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, I do want to ask you about Bruce Cassidy here coming up, and I do yeah, want to ask you about uh, about Paul Maurice as well and some really interesting comments uh, this morning. But um, just a, a couple of news bits before we get into Game 3. And, and this is, you know, the, the must-win question will certainly been, uh, be asked. And, you know, Radko Gudis draws back in, although Paul Maurice seems to want to downplay physicality for Game 3. I'll get your thoughts on that one in a couple of moments here. Um, something that you had mentioned on, I think it was either the podcast or here a few weeks ago, uh, has come to fruition, and that is John Collins. Uh, yep. John Collins uh, investing in the New York Islanders, John Collins, former NHL COO, and I think for a lot of casual hockey fans, when they hear the name John Collins, uh, they'll think of the Winter Classic, they'll think of the Stadium Series. Now, he did a lot more than just that, but when you look at signatures with a job, I mean, those are two pretty, uh, two, two large things you're going to put on his resume. Um, John Collins joins the New York Islanders, uh, investing in the Islanders. He'll be an operating partner, and he'll run the business operations of the Islanders. Elliot, for those that may not know, can you explain why this is a a huge deal for the Lou Lamarillo-led team. Well, John Collins was a guy who worked in the NHL. I think his title was vice president of business uh, uh, a few years ago. Um, you know, he he left the league. Uh, Glenn Healy, who I worked with at the time, always spoke incredibly highly of Collins. Um, he dealt with Collins quite a bit when Glenn used to work at the Players Association. He said he had a lot of great ideas. Uh, a lot of good things to push, um, and I think he was unafraid to try things. And, you know, unfortunately, there were some battles uh, uh, between him and elsewhere in the NHL. Um, you know, I think he was, I don't say this as a negative, I think he was just a guy who wanted to push the envelope a lot. He wanted to try things he wanted to push, and mm -hmm. uh, it just didn't always mix well, unfortunately. And I remember when he, when he left, uh, Healy in particular thought it was not a good thing for the NHL. 
he went, he did some other things. And I think it was on the podcast we mentioned it uh, a couple weeks ago, Jeff. Like, there was some stuff going on around the Islanders. There were some rumors about would they add someone to the front office? Um, was, you know, Lamorella going to move, like, aside and bring in a GM? And and I kept on poking around. And, you know, with the Islanders, it's like it's like a vault. But, so, but one thing that shook, shook loose was that looked like Collins was going to join the organization in a business role, and that turned out to be true. I think it's really interesting that it sounds like he's now part of the ownership group, and you know he's going to run the business operations, and I think that's a, a good thing for New York, and it remains to be seen what, if anything, this will have to do with the hockey operations of the team. Well, and that's why I'm really curious, too, because as you mentioned, John Collins is very much a forward-thinking, progressive, let's try things, you know, think tank, ideas type person. And then, you know, I I say this with all due respect to to Lou Lamarillo, who's certainly a legend in this industry, Um, but Elliot, he's not from the old school. He's from the school they burned down to build the old school. Uh, How do you feel that that these two may, may be able to work together? Well, you know, I, I think this, like, I, like, I think that, you know, like, look, like, I assume, and I shouldn't say the word assume here, I assume that this is going to have nothing to do with the hockey operations. And uh, Lamorello, uh, so I don't think it'll affect that at all. The one thing I think that will be interesting here is, as you know, uh, Lamorello is very careful about the amount of promotion individual players get he's very much team above individual yep. and i have no doubt that collins will push the envelope in ways to promote the islanders but if it, if he's talking about let's individual players then you know that mm-hmm. in you know in in lamorello world that's not always easy so uh, i think that's the only thing i look at here in the immediate way that says to me that there's anything to worry about but again that's all conjecture and not based in fact at this time. Whenever we talk to a New York Islander player, what's one of the first questions we always ask on the podcast? What are the Lou rules? What are Lou's rules where's your, that, where's uh, your that mustache? you must follow? <laughs> That's right. Is that two-day-old stubble? Get that off, young man. Not on this team. Um, uh, also, uh, a couple of things from around the NHL. Just a, a, a couple of notes here that I want to uh, get to you with. Anything new on the Rangers coaching situation quickly you know all i can tell you is that there seems to be a a feeling at the combine and i want to stress this is a feeling this is pure gossip that people there think that heinz has a great shot at it um you know i don't know that to be true but i'm just telling you i'm doing the old doug mcclain I'm not saying it's true. I'm just telling you what I heard. Um, you know, the, the one oh, thing I one. think is, is pretty clear is that Drury is wrestling with this. I do believe they had another in-person interview with Hines this week. And I, I don't know if that's the first mm-hmm. time he's met with them in person or second, but I heard he, they had an in-person interview with Hines this week. And so that doesn't surprise me then that maybe the timeline got pushed back a bit. Like I said, the uh, people at the Combine are saying they think it's Heinz, but there's no, absolutely right. no proof of that, and I wouldn't want that labeled as any kind of report. Okay. Um, a couple of other things here. As the, the NHL world still sort of 
you know, um, uh, reeling from a, a, a massive three-way deal a couple of days ago. Uh, I wonder about the teams. I wonder what's next for Daniel Briere and the Philadelphia Flyers, uh, because we know there's there's more business to be done there. Um, we saw Gavrikov sign with the, the Los Angeles Kings yesterday, and you know that was the, the the main reason why Rob Blake and the Kings uh, got involved. There's still more business there to do, whether it's Gabe Velarde, whether it's find a goaltender, etc. Uh, and also, I have a really hard time believing that Columbus is anywhere near done. I know we talked about Columbus a little bit yesterday, but you know, as as the days go on, you know, we talked about how you know Calgary is going to be an interesting off-season team. Washington will be an interesting off-season team. Winnipeg will as well. How uh, how frisky do you think Yarmo Kekalainen is going to be here in an advance of the draft? I think uh, very frisky. Like I don't even know what the frisky scale is, but he would be on the high end of the frisky scale. <laughs> uh, I, I don't think Columbus is done here. I think they will continue to look at defensemen uh, as we speak. Um, I, I think they're continuing to do that. I just someone just said to me they're not done, and uh, I think yeah. that's quite true. So uh, I'm looking at that and just waiting to see. Can we figure out what they're up to? Um, you know, the other one, I think, for Philadelphia, um, I heard uh, someone told me to dial back the Carter Hart. They don't think that that necessarily is on the front burner, and we should take a time out on that one, so I will. But I do think Philly is looking at Tony D'Angelo. I think they're aggressive on that front, about trying to see what the market is for him. So I, I think that... D'Angelo moves to the front burner ahead of Hart. And someone said to me, just, mm-hmm. you know, dial that one down because I don't think that one's imminent. You know, I mentioned the Winnipeg Jet, and that's interesting about Tony D'Angelo, but not entirely all uh, surprising considering the scratches and the, uh, and the situation between him and, and, uh, and, and the head coach, specifically John Tortorella. Um, one team that I want to throw in there quickly, uh, I think we're all expecting something big at some point. I don't know which domino is going to be the first, uh, but I mentioned the Winnipeg Jets a couple of seconds ago. Um, we all know and all suspect what the moves are going to be and, you know, whose names are, are on the front burner here. How quickly do you think Shevel Dayoff gets to work now that it seems like, to be blunt, trade season is kind of on here? Well, I, I think that, you know, uh, Pierre mentioned Dubois last night and we talked about the Jets overall on the weekend. I think what the Jets have just really started to do now is say this is what we're thinking. And so I think people are starting to go to them and, and, uh, and say, all right, um, our people are starting to go to them and say, all right, um, okay, we know that you're open for business. What's this all going to mean and what are you looking for? And I think with the Jets, um, I, you know, obviously it comes down to, uh, you know, they don't want to rebuild. They, you know, obviously some futures will be part of this, but they want players that can help them now. I, you know, you look at their contract structure, they've got Morrissey signed for a while. They've got uh, Lowry signed for a while. They've got Connor signed for a while. You know, they don't want those players to feel like it's, it's 31st in the league time. They want those players to feel like they're going to be playing for something. And uh, so I think that's very much a big part of Winnipeg's deal. I, I think the thing is, I, I really honestly, I think it starts and ends with Hellebuck. Uh, I shouldn't say it ends with Hellebuck. I think it starts with Hellebuck uh, because I think he's the one that you're probably going to get the most return for. Um, uh, and, you know, I, I, as, as you and I have talked about 
Now, there's a really interesting goalie market out there. I, I think there's teams looking, and so you know, you know, uh-huh. and, and so I think people are kind of talking about about who's the goalie you want to go after and what's that going to look like. So I think a lot of this starts with Hellebuck. I think Winnipeg's big challenge with Dubois is going to be: can you convince other teams out there that that there's a market for him beyond Montreal? And you know, like. I don't think it's only Montreal for Dubois, but I but I think we all believe no. it is his vast preference is to is to end up there. So if you're Montreal and you think that's the case, you're not paying a ransom for him. And I think the most the most interesting thing there is, you know, I, I think there's teams out there looking at this like we got one more year of a really tight cap. If we're a good team and we think he can help us for a year. Let's go for it. Like, I know last year there were teams that looked at Dubois and said, hey, if we only get him for two years, we'll take it. But what's mm-hmm. that trade look like? Uh, I think that's mm-hmm. one of the biggest questions. Uh, you and I have talked about him before. I'm of the belief that he would be amenable to going to – Like, I, I think you're right. I don't think it's Montreal or bust. I think Montreal I think is number one. Highly Montreal, I, yes. I, I agree, but I, I don't think like, – put it this way. I, I think that he would be okay playing for a team like the Rangers. I think the Minnesota Wild might be another one of those teams that, uh, that Dubois would be okay uh, going to and, and, and playing on. But, but I am with you. I, th- I think Montreal – listen, we all saw the comments from the agent last year at the draft. Like, we know what the long-term play, the preferred long-term play is. But if that's yeah. not going to happen, you know, New York and Minnesota, I think are and, – and there are more. But I, I believe those are, those are two that he'd be amenable to. Um, let me ask you one thing about the American Hockey League. Now – if you're not, even if you're not a fan of the American Hockey League, stick with us on this conversation. So the AHL final starts tonight. It is the Hershey Bears, the oldest AHL team in the league, against mm-hmm. Coachella Valley, the youngest AHL team in the league. And of particular interest here, Coachella Valley is the AHL affiliate for the Seattle Kraken. Last year they split with Charlotte. This year they have their own. We've talked a lot about how successful Seattle has been. We've talked a lot about how successful Vegas has been. And it goes deep, too. Like, just a, just a quick thought, Elliot, just on how quickly Seattle has become a revenue driver for the NHL and a team like Coachella Valley in the American League. And they're in the final here. Coachella Valley is, I think, maybe the number one revenue driver in the entire American Hockey League. I think they have, like, 3,500 season tickets sold. Like, in the American Hockey League, Elliot, this is unheard of. Do you have a thought of on the, the success of Coachella Valley and, by extension, Seattle, and what this does to people that are kicking tires on expansion teams? Well, I think it's it's a huge thing. There's no question about that. I think, I think Coachella Valley and Henderson are... One, two in the AHL, though I'm not sure the exact order. I'm not sure if Henderson's first right. or Coachella Valley's first, but they're up there just like they are in the NHL. Actually, speaking of Seattle, somebody told me like their merchandise sales from the playoffs were incredible. Um, I, no I have to double check exactly, but I think they were while they were in the playoffs for the two rounds, they were the number one merchandise yeah. selling team in the NHL, I believe. So, yeah. like, they're a powerhouse. A lot, of that's, a lot of that's my brother-in-law. 
A lot of that's my brother-in-law who went to one of the games and just came back with bags of stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he loved loved it. He had a great experience. He loved the whole thing. Did he properly fill out his customs card and the amount of gifts he took back? I bet not. I'm I'm sure that James did. Yes, I'm sure. CRT. I'm sure he's not. Look for. (laughs) Or CRA. Look for another Merrick. Check that customs card. Oh, very you know, good, uh, very good. So but, it's, uh, and also every, but everybody, the, everybody. Yeah. The coaching matchup to me is interesting too, Jeff. It's Todd Nelson, who had a brief NHL time yeah. and would love to get another shot. And and Bilesma, of course, won a Stanley Cup. And I, I'm sure he'd love to get another shot. So I think it's all it's all really interesting. There's some interesting players there too, like, uh, you know, some guys that Washington's counting on for next season. And, of course, Shane Wright. So, uh, I, I'm really, yeah. I, I'm really intrigued by all this. And former, you know, high-end prospect Cole Lind uh, as well for uh, for Coachella Valley. So we'll see where that, uh, where that final by goes. The way, anyway, uh, game one. Uh, yes. By the way, Jeff, uh, I wanted to thank Mike Corrine, who's one of our editors uh, at Sportsnet.ca. Yep. He sent me a really interesting article today in the National Post. Um, as we know, there's all this debate about taxes in Canada. And, you know, how players can uh, make their tax situation better. And one of the ways they did it was by, you know, kind of creating a retirement plan for themselves. That they could put a bunch of their money in a retirement plan and take it out later. Well, the National Post, there's an article about how the Canada Revenue is, is, uh, is in court with Jose Batista and Russell Martin about how they used that plan. And they are disputing the way it was used. And that's a big deal. Like, there's, there's like Jonathan Huberto, when he signed his big contract with the Flames, he had that set up for him. And that's one of the ways that players try to alleviate the Canadian taxes. And when, whenever we talk about this and someone says you are wrong, you can use this process to get by it. Well, if Canada Revenue Agency wins this case, that might go away. So it's, it's, it's a pretty significant story, and I was glad Mike sent it to me this morning because if that changes, it's going to make life a lot more difficult oh, for the Canadian teams. That's for sure. That's, that's, uh, that's tougher. And then at which point you start to have the conversation about Canadian salary caps versus American salary caps. Elliot, I know you hate the conversation and I know your eyeballs roll when you hear it, but it's, I don't know that we're, I don't want to say that we're inching closer to it, but it sure feels that way. But we'll, we'll park that for another other podcast or radio show real quick. uh, A few minutes left here. Game three tonight. uh, Radko Gudis is in. Paul Maurice is downplaying uh, the physicality um, by the Florida Panthers saying that there's an energy cost to to playing physical and, you know, we're not going to play that way anymore. You know, I kind of look at the Florida Panthers and I kind of look at them as a little bit stuck right now. Like what worked against Boston, it's not working against Vegas. What worked against Toronto is not working against Vegas. What worked against Carolina certainly is not working against Vegas and it sounds like you know if you take the Palmeries quotes at face value it kind of sounds like they're making a change in how they want to play I mean we'll see what happens when the puck drops I mean Matthew Kachuk is still Matthew Kachuk and Radko Gudis is still Radko Gudis but does it feel already like the Florida Panthers are reevaluating how they're going to play here 
Well, I, I think this. Um, yes, I, I would say I'd say completely. Like, there's there's no question that uh, I don't know. Like, it's always kind of been the case, Jeff. But maybe this is kind of drilled it through that you know the the West is more physical than the East, and it, it, this is uh, there's no data to back this up, but purely in an anecdotal way. Vegas certainly seems the team that is prepared to deal with this the best in the sense that they're not bothered by it and they are just as good at, at dishing it out. Um, like, like I went up to Nick Hague yesterday and I said, why and with Kyle, we were both talking to him. We were like, how come everybody wants to kill you? And he was just kind of laughing. He was like, I don't really say that much. And, uh, you know, like he goes, I go, are you, we go, are you a chirper? And he goes, no, but uh, the one thing he did, he did say that he says to people is, uh, if you want to start it, I'll finish it. And apparently that's what he said to Kachuk, and the cameras kind of caught it. The other night I, I couldn't remember. Mm-hmm. But I think that's kind of the way that Vegas' attitude is. Like, you, you, don't, you think you can out-physical us? Okay. And there's no question in my mind that um, they were the Panthers guys were kind of talking about it yesterday that they've, They've really realized that Vegas can play any kind of game you want. You want to play tough, they can play tough. You want to play along the boards, they can play along the boards. You want to play skill game, we can play a skill game. So, like, I, I just think that Vegas, look, look, and some of the things that the Vegas players were talking about with that series with Edmonton, like, that was a really nasty, mean series, and they won it. So, I, I just don't think, like, you know, Boston – they're not the they're not the John Winsing Bruins or Don Cherry Bruins anymore. The Leafs are they're yeah. they're not built that way. And Carolina, I thought was a tough team, but they don't they're they're a grinding team as opposed to a a, a physically uh, like we're gonna kill you team. And I think Vegas is just in a better place to deal with this. And Florida's realizing this is not gonna work with them. Yeah. The number one thing I think Jeff is they gotta protect the front of their net. Then if they don't, if Bobrovsky can like. How many goals have we seen where Bobrovsky looks behind him and says, I never even saw it? Like, if, if Vegas doesn't fix that, yep. not, or a floor doesn't fix that, they've got no chance. You know, and uh, we'll hear the interview later on on the show. What did Bruce Cassidy tell us about where this series is going to be won? So far, it's – and, you know, the, the other interesting thing about, about these two teams – I want to get your thoughts on this the other day. I forgot to ask. You know, we know how much this is a copycat league, and I, I don't expect the trade deadline to change uh, that much, if at all. This is, might be more than just like – nothing more than just a curiosity note. I mean, the Florida Panthers made a bunch of deals last season. Last season, they went all in to, to try to get as yeah. deep as they could and win the Stanley Cup. This year, mainly because they didn't have the assets to do so, they were quiet around trade deadline time. Uh, we've talked about Kelly McCrimmon and Barbashev, and he also brought in Teddy Bluger, and he uh, brought in Jonathan Quick. But there weren't major moves made by either of these two teams. These were, you know, and we talked so much about, uh, remember we talked so much about the talent drain going from the Western Conference to the Eastern Conference? Uh, You know, Ryan O'Reilly and Patrick Kane, it seemed like every move was like someone going from the West to the East. Um, Is there anything there or is it just a coincidence and maybe it's nothing than a a raised eyebrow about it, then we move on and watch the game that, no, neither of these two teams were really that, you know, to borrow a word from earlier in the conversation, Really, that frisky around trade deadline time at all? I mean, Barbashev is big. Make no mistake about it. 
but still, no and one went blue, crazy. Yeah, no one barbe- went crazy here. Yeah, barbecue. Like, uh, well, I think it, it just matters. Like, you know, it, it's funny. Like, Florida made the big move in the summer, obviously, for the chalk. One of the things that yeah. they've talked about was when they went big last year at the deadline. Uh, how much does it change you? And you know, like you're well-meaning. You bring in Claude Giroux and you bring in Ben Sherratt, and those are competitive guys who play hard, and you know they're good players. But the, you know, the one thing a few people have talked to you about is when you have a team that's going as good as that one, are you worried about changing your roles? And you know, for example, if Giroux comes into your team, someone who's been on the power play all year is not going to be on the number one power play. And when you bring in Sherratt, yeah. uh, someone who's been maybe one of your top penalty killers all year is not going to be your top penalty killer. And that's the thing. Like, I remember when Berkey's team won the Stanley Cup. They brought in, I think it was Brad May at the deadline. And he just said, like, man, yeah. guys set in rules that we didn't want to change. And I always think about that. Like, it's the same thing, Jeff, like in, in our show. Like, uh, or any like on TV, you bring in someone new. Well, someone's role is going to change, and like uh, yeah. it's like you know, like uh, I, like I know you. You're very territorial about your radio show, and when Marquise's hosting it and you're not there, <laughs> like you sabotage it. So you know, people are like that sometimes. I always call you. I, I tell you, Elliot, call in late, or Elliot, make sure you're uh, around a lot of traffic. Make sure the audio really no sounds bad. I call guests. Forget what you know. I keep yeah. calling. When, yeah, when, whenever the guests are on, I keep calling them. So there's that that cut in the line that makes the interview sound. I just go out of my way to sabotage Marchese's career. And I've been exposed by you here on this show today. Well done, Elliot. Thanks. The the mask comes off. Um, listen, man, we'll be watching on the Magic Eyeball. You enjoy it. Uh, we'll do a podcast afterwards. In the meantime, we'll look forward to Game 3. All right, Jeff. Have a great afternoon. Elliot Friedman from 32 Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada, A Block Elliot, as we call him here on the program.